All right, 
sorry about the little bit of delay there, but uh, had some things to take care of first. How's everybody doing today? James said howdy in the comments. Hi, James. Hi, James. How you doing, bro? All right. Well, today uh, we are doing a piece on Eugene Debs. The reason that we started the episode of Solidarity Forever is because uh, uh, the man who wrote it uh, his name was Chaplin. He first heard the word solidarity from the mouth of Eugene Debs. Um, and it was originally supposed to be a Eugene Debs slash IWW episode. And um, Chaplin was a member of the IWW. So um, I guess I'm going to do the normal intro stuff. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash for we are many. We're all over social media. As you can see, we finally got rid of SoundCloud on there. Um, but we are on Facebook. We have the support group. We have the page. We have the mutual aid organizing group. Um, we're on Twitter at for we are many too. Uh, we are at for we are many podcasts on both Instagram and TikTok. Uh, and we are also for we are many podcasts on YouTube. And um Time goes on, we are working more and more towards being um, more exclusively on our website, which is forwearemany.org. Uh, we will have um, more articles than we currently do. We have some, but we will have more articles coming. Um, as well as uh, we have a COVID dashboard if you want to keep track on how cases are tracking in your area. Anyway, I'm your host and comrade, Rob, and uh, today's episode is uh, on Eugene Victor Debs. Trisha? Oh, sorry, I was trying to get the window to blow up bigger. Um, <laughs> hi, I'm Trisha, the Zen motherfucker. Trying to keep my Zen through all the shit that makes me say motherfucker. <laughs> and I'm I'm happy to be here to dig into this leftist history here. He was a badass. Indeed. Uh, James said he had a COVID scare the other day. Uh, well, I'm glad that it was just a scare and not COVID itself. Uh, Dean says apologies. He will not be able to join us tonight. Yeah, I saw that. I was actually just responding okay. to him. All right. So, uh, looks like it's just us till Don gets back. <laughs> All right. So, um, Eugene Debs was born on November 5th, 1855 in Indiana to Jean, Jean Daniel and Marguerite Marie Betrick Debs, who immigrated to the United States from France. Um, this has to do actually directly with what we talked about last week uh, in terms of the wave of collectivized minded uh, immigrants that came to the United States at the time. Um, France wasn't one of the countries that we talked about primarily, I suppose, but they also had a failed revolution in 1948. So their emigration probably would have um, been a result of that. Anyway, his father came from a prosperous family, owned a textile mill and meat market, and Debs was named after the uh, French authors Eugene Sue and Victor Hugo. He attended public school, dropped out of high school at age 14. He took a job with the Vandalia Railroad cleaning grease from the trucks of freight engines. That sounds like a job for a 14-year-old, don't it? Right. Back Holy then shit. it was. That was so common back then because there 
really weren't much as far as labor laws were concerned. Kids were still doing manual labor like that. Right. In December 1871, when a drunken locomotive fireman failed to report for work, Debs was pressed into service as a night fireman. He decided to remain a fireman on the run between Terre Haute. I don't know if I'm saying that right or not. Um, Terre Haute. Yep. Okay. And Indianapolis. In July 1875, uh, Debs worked left to work at a wholesale grocery house where he remained for four years while attending a local business school at night. And then in 1877, he joined the Brotherhood of Locomotive Firemen and February 1875 became active in the organization. Now, it's important to note that these, these brotherhoods were, uh, hi, Jakarta, uh, hi, Natalie, hi, Emily and River. Hola. Um, anyway, uh, the, these brotherhoods were not like labor unions. They didn't strike, they didn't have any collective bargaining power. Uh, they were very conservative compared to um, what we're going to be talking about later. For that matter, Eugene Debs, even after he was involved with the labor movement, wasn't a socialist until, um, well, I can't tell you what, that'd be a spoiler. Anyway. <laughs> uh, we haven't got there yet, Rob. <laughs> right. In 1877, he served as a delegate of the Terre Haute Lodge to the organization's national convention. He was elected associate editor of the, um, the, the Brotherhood's monthly organ, Fireman's Magazine, in 1878. Two years later, he was appointed grand secretary and treasurer of the Brotherhood and editor of the magazine in July uh, 1880. He worked as a Brotherhood of Locomotive Firemen functionary until January 1893 and as the magazine's editor until September 1894. Absolutely. At the same time, uh, sorry, were you going to say something? I was going to read the next page. <laughs> oh. Go ahead. Want to take turns? Yeah, that's fine All right. by me. At the same time, he became a prominent figure in the community. He served two terms as Terre Haute City Clerk from September 1879 to September 1883. In the fall of 1884, he was elected as a Democrat to represent Terre Haute and Vigo counties in the Indiana General Assembly, and he served for one term in 1885. Debs married Kate Metal on June 19, 1895. Their home still stands in Terre Haute, preserved on the campus of Indiana State University. The Railroad Brothers, Brotherhoods were comparatively conservative organizations focused on providing fellowship and services rather than on collective bargaining. Their motto was benevolence, sobriety, and industry. As editor of the official journal of the Brotherhood of Locomotive Firemen, Debs initially concentrated on improving the Brotherhood's death and disability insurance programs. During the early 1880s, Debs' writing stressed themes of self-upliftment, uplift, oh, oh my God, self-upliftment. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> temperance, hard work, and honesty. Debs also held the view that labor and capital are friends and opposed strikes as a means of settling differences. The Brotherhood had never authorized a strike from its founding in 1873 to 1887, a record which Debs was proud of. Uh, I just want to jump in real quick to say, notice the past tense was... Product. Yes, this is where he began. Pay attention to where he went from there because he grew. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's that's pretty much uh, his, his political evolution is pretty. I don't know how to word it, I guess. I'll, I'll just shut up and keep keep reading. <laughs> Debs gradually became convinced of the need for a more unified and confrontational approach as railroads were powerful forces in the economy. One influence was his involvement of the Burlington Railroad Strike of 1888, a defeat for labor that convinced Debs of the necessity of organizing along craft lines. After stepping down as the Grand Secretary of the Brotherhood in 1893, Debs organized one of the first industrial unions in the United States, the American Railroad Railway Union for Unskilled Workers. 
He was elected president of the ARU upon its founding with fellow, fellow railway labor organizer George W. Howard as first vice president. The union successfully struck the Great Northern Railway in 1894, winning most of its demands. Um, so that one and the Pullman strike are two strikes that we're probably going to do episodes like this on. Um, it, it, it was too much to try to go in depth on any of these uh, in the Debs episode. That This episode would be all damn night. <laughs> right. Um, after, after this like shift started, honestly, he was fucking unstoppable and he did a lot of shit in a relatively short amount of time. Yes. Um, in 1894, Debs became involved in the Pullman strike, which grew out of a compensation dispute started by the workers who constructed the rail cars made by the Pullman Palace Car Company. The Pullman Company said in falling revenue after the economic panic of 1893, had cut wages of its employees by 28%. The workers, many of whom were already members of the ARU, appealed for support to the union at its convention in Chicago. Um, and then the strike, the strike happened after that. Um, but right. I, I skipped a lot of the details on the organizing of the strike and the strike itself um, for the sake of time. Right. Um, as of July 9th, uh, 1894, a New York Times editorial called Debs, quote, a lawbreaker at large, an enemy of the human race, end quote. <laughs> Strikers fought by... That's not surprising from the New York Times even <laughs> right, today. Right, right. Like, <laughs> we can't have people protesting for workers' rights and shit. You're an enemy. <laughs> oh my right. God. Get the fuck out of here. You know? <laughs> uh, they fought by establishing some boycotts of the Pullman train cars. And with Deb's eventual leadership, the strike came to be known as Deb's Rebellion. Now, <laughs> before you continue, I, I meant to make a note here, actually, but I wanted to interject to say that according to the sources, which I used several to put this together, most of it ended yeah, up coming from Wikipedia, but I also used the IWW website, and they went a lot more into detail um Debs was reluctant he thought that a boycott was a bad idea he thought that a boycott was going to bring backlash he was concerned about other unions coming in to break the strike um so the the fact that it was called Debs rebellion and then what happens next is even more astonishing considering that the only reason he went along with it is because that's what the union voted he himself right. was outspoken against it but being their leader, he got named for it and held accountable for it because the federal government intervened, obtaining an injunction against the strike on the grounds that the strikers had obstructed the U.S. mail because <laughs> um, it was carried on the Pullman cars. So by refusing to show up for work, the mail didn't get delivered. Uh, President Grover Cleveland, whom Debs had supported in all three of his presidential campaigns, sent the U.S. Army to enforce the injunction. The presence of the Army was enough to break the strike. Overall, 30 strikers were killed in the strike, 13 of them in Chicago, um, and thousands were blacklisted. An estimated 80 million worth of property was damaged, and Debs was found guilty of contempt of court for violating the injunction and sent to federal prison. I want to I want to I want to interject one more time to point out 80 million dollars in 1894 was a fucking right. lot of money. That would have been like billions now. So I mean, they had to trash the whole fucking city and I don't blame them. Especially when they're basically being told unlawfully, unconstitutionally not to gather. How are you getting hit with a federal fucking case for exercising your First Amendment rights and protesting? You know, what the fuck? Yeah. But anyway, um, he was represented by Clarence Darrow, later a leading American lawyer and civil libertarian who had previously been a corporate lawyer for the railroad company. So that's kind of cool that he switched sides and decided to help Debs um well um so 
it says previously again the IWW sources were more in depth um yeah he had been a corporate lawyer but he resigned way before any of that happened oh did he uh, okay. yeah apparently well, he still came around to the right side <laughs> exactly exactly um in the supreme supreme court case decision in redebs it later upheld the right of the federal government to issue the injunction, which I find to be bullshit. That is unconstitutional as fuck. Yeah. At the time of his arrest for mail obstruction, Debs was not yet a socialist. While serving his uh, six-month term in jail at Woodstock, Illinois, Debs and his ARU comrades received a steady stream of letters, books, and pamphlets in the mail from socialists all around the country. Additionally, Debs was visited in jail by Milwaukee socialist newspaper editor Victor L. Berger, who in Debs' words, quote, came to Woodstock as if a providential instrument and delivered the first impassioned message of socialism I had ever heard. In his 1926 obituary in time, uh, it was said that Berger left him a copy of Das Kapital and that uh, Debs read it slowly, eagerly, and ravenously. And he emerged from the jail at the end of his sentence, a changed man. He would spend the final three decades of his life fighting for the socialist cause. After uh, Debs and Martin Elliott were released from prison in 1895, Debs started his socialist political career. He persuaded ARU membership to join with the Brothership of the Cooperative Commonwealth to found the Social Democracy of America. Um, I don't, I, I don't know why I put it here. I actually meant to put it where it said that he got married, but Debs, well, I guess it's because he just became a socialist, but anyway, Debs' wife, Kate, was opposed to socialism. Uh, the quote, tempestuous relationship with a wife who rejects the very values he holds most dear was the basis of Irving Stone's biographical novel, Adversary in the House. Hmm. The Social Democracy of America, the SDA, founded in 1897 by Eugene V. Debs from the remnants of his American Railway Union, was deeply divided between those who favored a tactic of launching a series of colonies to build socialism by practical example, and others who favored establishment of a European-style socialist political party with a view to capture the government apparatus through the ballot box. I wanted Did to you... interject there, too. Um, okay. So plan, plan one, I mean, honestly, they should have done both. And I think that, that short term, they did try to do both. But essentially what plan A was is the Paris Commune, but, you know, everywhere. That would be cool. Right. That would be very cool. Um, the June 1898 convention would be the group's last with Minority Political Action Wing quitting the organization to establish a new organization, the Social Democratic Party of America, the SDP, also called the Social Democratic Party of the United States. Uh, Debs was elected to National Executive Board, <clears throat> the five-member committee which governed the party, and his brother Theodore Debs was selected as its paid executive secretary handling day-to-day -day affairs of the organization. Although by no means the sole decision-maker in the organization, Deb's status as prominent public figure in the aftermath of the Pullman strike provided cachet and made him the recognized spokesman for the party in the newspapers. Along with Elliot, who ran for Congress in 1900, Debs was the first federal office candidate for the fledgling, fledgling Socialist Party, running unsuccessfully for president the same year. Um, Debs and his running mate, Job Harriman, Job, I don't know why I said Job other than it's spelled the same way. I knew that was Job though. <laughs> Job Harriman received 87,945 votes or 0.6 of the popular vote and no electoral votes. Following the 1900 election, the Social Democratic Party had uh, and dissidents who had split from the Socialist Labor Party in 1899 uh, unified forces at a socialist unity convention held in Indianapolis in mid-1901, a meeting which established the Socialist Party of America, which, by the way, is still around today. 
Um, they are part of the Left Unity campaign with the Green Party. Howie Hawkins and Angela Walker are members of the Socialist Party of America, founded by Eugene Debs. Anyway, uh, Debs was the Socialist Party of America candidate for president in 1904, 1908, 1912, and 1920, with the final time being from prison. After his work with the Brotherhood of Locomotive Firemen and the American uh, Railway Union, Debs' next major work in organizing a labor union came during the founding of the Industrial Workers of the World, or the IWW, or uh, they are affectionately referred to as Wobblies. Wobblies? Wobblies. Why? I don't know, but they have been for a very long time. You've never, you've never been to like the Wobbly Kitchen in Detroit when you were there? Well, nah, man. it's not like an actual place, but did you go down there when they were set up at, uh, at the park? When Occupy was set up at the park? Um, no, I'd only been to the building that they had for uh, meetings. Ah, okay, that makes sense. Were you there for the Occupy the Midwest Summit? I believe so. Okay, they were, uh, the Wobblies were the people that were cooking all that bomb-ass fucking vegan food in the kitchen. Right on. Yeah. Good shit. <laughs> I mean, some of it, actually, I was very surprised at the time that it was, like, you know, good. <laughs> like, hey, wait a minute. People, There's no meat. know how to make vegan food really good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway. On June 27, 1905, in Chicago, Illinois, Debs and other influential union leaders, including Bill Haywood, leader of the Western Federation of Miners, and Daniel De Leon, leader of the Socialist Labor Party, held what Haywood called the Continental Congress of the Working Class. Haywood stated, quote, we are here to confederate the workers of this country into a working class movement that shall have for its purpose the emancipation sorry, of the working class. And Deb stated, quote, we are here to perform a task so great that it appeals to our best thought, our united energies, and will enlist our most loyal support, a task in the presence of which weak men might falter in despair, but from which it is impossible to shrink without betraying the working class. <clears throat> Debs was noted by <laughs> many to be, I'm sorry, what? I, I was just clapping. I was going to start reading the next paragraph, but I was clapping for that because, I see. you know, that was a good quote. <laughs> but uh, are you still screen sharing? I can't tell from the viewer here. No, I'm not. Oh, hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> now you can see us stuff our faces in between <laughs> paragraphs. Um Debs was noted by many to be a charismatic speaker who sometimes called on the vocabulary of Christianity and much of the oratorical style of evangelism, even though he was generally disdainful of organized religion. Howard Zinn, <clears throat> excuse me, Howard Zinn opined that, quote, Debs was what every socialist or anarchist or radical should be, fierce in his convictions, kind and compassionate in his personal relations, End quote. Uh, Haywood Brown noted in his eulogy for Debs, quoting a fellow socialist, that old man with the burning eyes actually believes that there can be such a thing as the brotherhood of man. And that's not the funniest part of it. As long as he's around, I believe it myself. I think that's awesome. Um, although sometimes called King Debs, Debs himself was not wholly comfortable with his standing as a leader as he told an audience in Detroit in 1906, quote, I am not a labor leader. I do not want you to follow me or anybody else. If you are looking for a Moses to lead you out of the capitalist wilderness, you will stay right where you are. I would not lead you into the promised land if I could, because if I led you in, someone else would lead you out. You must use your heads as well as your hands and get yourself out of your present condition. Indeed. Um, Deb's speeches against the Wilson administration and the war uh, earned the enmity uh, of President Woodrow Wilson, who later called Debs, quote, a traitor to his country. On June 16, 1918, Debs made a speech in Canton, Ohio, urging resistance to the military draft of World War I 
He was arrested on June 30th and charged with 10 counts of sedition. Um, so I'm gonna, you know, hop into the comments real quick and drop the link to the entire text from Wikisource um, of the speech. But there is, um, Mark Ruffalo did a reenactment of it uh, at some sort of university uh, event several years ago. And, um, well, it was pretty good. So we're gonna, we're gonna take a look at it. I'm uh, just trying to get the, uh, there we go, video pulled up on my computer so I can drop this in the comments. Maybe. It's loading. Oh, uh, damn it. All right, I'm going to start the video. I have the link copied. I'll be dropping it in the comments in a second. Another eloquent voice against World War I was that of Eugene Debs, the railroad union organizer and leader of the Socialist Party. On June 18, 1918, he addressed a mass rally of workers in Ohio, knowing that his words could lead, as they did, to his arrest and imprisonment. His sentence of 10 years was upheld by unanimous Supreme Court decision. Here is the speech that led to his arrest. Sam Johnson declared that patriotism is the last refuge of the scoundrel. He must have had the Wall Street gentry in mind, or at least their prototypes. For in every age, it has been the tyrant, the oppressor, and the exploiter who has wrapped himself in the cloak of patriotism, or religion, or both, to deceive and overawe the people. Every solitary one of these aristocratic conspirators and would-be murderers claims to be an arch-patriot. Every one of them insists that the war is being waged to make the world safe for democracy. What humbug! What rot! What false pretense! Wars throughout history have been waged for conquest and plunder. In the Middle Ages, when the feudal lords concluded to enlarge their domains, to increase their power, their prestige, and their wealth, they declared, they declared war upon one another. But they themselves did not go to war any more than the modern feudal lords, the barons of Wall Street, go to war. The feudal barons of the Middle Ages, the economic predecessors of the capitalists of our day, declared all wars and their miserable serfs fought all the battles. The poor, ignorant serfs have been taught to revere their masters, to believe that when their masters declared war upon one another, it was their patriotic duty to fall upon one another and to cut one another's throats for the profit and glory of the lords and barons who held them in contempt. And, and what is war in a nutshell? The master class has always declared the wars. The subject class has always fought the battles. <laughs> the master class has had all to gain and nothing to lose, while the subject class has had nothing to gain and all to lose, especially their lives. They have always, they have always taught and trained you to believe it to be your patriotic duty to go to war and to have yourselves slaughtered at their command. But in all the history of the world, you, the people, have never had a voice 
in declaring war. And strange as it certainly appears, no war by any nation in any age has ever been declared by the people. The working class who fight all the battles, the working class who make the supreme sacrifices, the working class who freely shed their blood and furnish their corpses, have never yet had a voice in either declaring war or making peace. It is the ruling class that invariably does both. They alone declare war and they alone make peace. Yours not to reason why, yours but to do and die. That is their motto. And we object on the part of the awakening workers of this nation, if war is right, let it be declared by the people. Yeah. Damn right. Indeed. Bro. Got anything to say on that? My apologies. I'm, I'm eating dinner right now. <laughs> but I, I think that was an epic speech, and I, I understand why Mark Ruffalo picked that one. It's very right. empowering. It's a nice reminder to everybody of, like... <laughs> Dude, <laughs> you are being exploited and abused. Step up. So, his trial defense called zero witnesses, asking the devs be allowed to address the court <laughs> in his defense. The unusual request was granted, and Debs spoke for two hours. He was found guilty on September 12th. At a sentencing hearing on September 14th, he again dressed the court, and his, uh, that speech has become a classic. Um, Haywood Brown, a liberal journalist and not a Debs partisan, said it was one of the most beautiful and moving passages in the English language. He was for that one afternoon touched with inspiration. If anyone told me that tongues of fire danced upon his shoulders as he spoke, I would believe it. Um, and here is uh, part of what Debs said. Obviously, when he had when he spoke, he had a tendency to speak long. So this is just an excerpt. But uh, your honor, I have stated in this court that I am opposed to the form of our present government, that I am opposed to the social system in which we live, that I believe in the change of both, but by perfectly peaceable and, uh, and orderly means. I'm thinking this morning of the men in the mills and in the factories I'm thinking of the women who, for a paltry wage, are compelled to work out their lives, of the little children who, in this system, are robbed of their childhood, and in their early tender years, are seized in the remorseless grasp of mammon, and forced into the industrial dungeons, there to feed the machines while they themselves are being starved, body and soul. Your Honor, I ask no mercy. I plead for no immunity. I realize that finally the right must prevail. I never more fully comprehended them now. The great struggle between the powers of greed on the one hand and uh, upon the other, the rising hosts of freedom. I can see the dawn of a better day of humanity. The people are awakening. In due course of time, they will come into their own. Debs was sentenced on September 18th, 1918 to 10 years in prison and was also disenfranchised for life. Debs presented what has been called his best remembered statement at his sentence hearing. Your Honor, years ago, I recognized my kinship with all living beings, and I made up my mind that I was not one bit better than the meanest on earth. I said then, and I say now, that while there is a lower class, I am in it, and while there is a criminal element, I am of it, and while there is a soul in prison, I am not free. Debs appealed his conviction to the Supreme Court. In its ruling on Debs v. United States, the court examined several statements Debs had made regarding World War I and socialism. While Debs had carefully worded his speeches in an attempt to comply with the Espionage Act, 
The court found that he had the intention and effect of obstructing the draft and military recruitment. Among other things, the court cited Deb's praise for those imprisoned for constructing the draft or obstructing the draft. My bad. Um, Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. stated in his opinion that little attention was needed since Deb's case was essentially the same as that of Shent versus United States in which the court had upheld a similar conviction. I find it to be bullshit. Right. Uh, Debs went to prison on April 13th, 1919. In protest of his jailing, Charles Ruthenberg led a parade of unionists, socialists, anarchists, and communists to march on May 1st, May Day, in Cleveland, Ohio. The event quickly broke into the, into the violent May Day riots of May 1919. I don't know why I reiterated May. I didn't even type it out that way, but that's what I said. Um, I think that eventually we're going to be doing, actually not eventually, we discussed this in our board meeting today. Uh, on May Day, we will be releasing an episode about May Day, about the May Day riots of 1919. And now we all know why they happened. Um, anyway, Debs ran for president in the 1920 election while in prison in Atlanta, Georgia, at the Atlanta, Atlanta Federal Penitentiary. He received 919,799 votes, which is 3.5% almost, slightly less than he had won in 1912 when he received 6% of the vote, which is the highest number of votes for a Socialist Party presidential candidate in the United States. But his goal, his slogan, was a million votes for socialism. And he came pretty damn close to that for running a campaign from fucking prison in 1920. Right. Um, anyway, uh, during his time in prison, Debs wrote a series of columns deeply critical of the prison system. They appeared in sanitized form in the Bell Syndicate and were published uh, in his only book, Walls and Bars, with several added chapters. It was published posthumously. Walls and bars should probably go on our reading list. If, yeah. you, if, Eugene's, if Eugene Debs only wrote one book and it was about the prison system from inside the prison, I'm willing to bet that there's some relevant insight to things that are still happening today. Hell yeah. Um, um, when we do that one, we need to open, we need to get a hold of the system of the down and see if we can use prison song. That would be dope. That is a Dean dope. thing, but I am so down. <laughs> By the way, welcome back. Oh, hi, everybody. <laughs> I've been here. I'm the one in the background that looks like Jabba the Hutt. I don't know if I can say that. That's trademarked, but bring me Solo and the Whoopie. Thank you for bringing me the ribs yeah, you're and the welcome. veggies and mac and cheese. You're welcome. That was dope. Mm. That was a really good dinner. <laughs> In March 1919, President Wilson asked Attorney General uh, <clears throat> E. Mitchell Palmer for his opinion on clemency, offering his own, which was, quote, I doubt the, wis the wisdom and public effect of such an action. Palmer generally favored releasing people convicted under the wartime security acts, but when he consulted with Debs prosecutors, even those with records as defenders of civil, li civil liberties, they assured him that Deb's conviction was correct and his sentence appropriate. Um, keep in mind, this is during the first Red Scare. So um, that's that's going to be another episode of its own, is the first Red Scare. Uh, that's where all of this anti-socialist, anti-communist, anti-anarchist rhetoric really stems from. Um, but anyway... The president, what was that, Don? I was just being facetious. Go on. Uh, the president and his attorney general both believe that public opinion opposed clemency and that releasing Debs could strengthen Wilson's opponents in the debate over the ratification of the peace treaty. Palmer proposed clemency in August and October 1920 without success. At one point, Wilson wrote, Quote, while the flower of American youth was pouring out its blood to vindicate the cause of civilization, this man, Debs, stood behind the line, sniping, attacking, and denouncing them. This man was a traitor to his country, and he will never be pardoned during my administration. Well, fuck that guy. Anyway. 
In January 1921, Palmer, citing Debs' deteriorating health, proposed to Wilson that Debs receive a presidential pardon, freeing him on February 12th, Lincoln's birthday. Wilson returned the paperwork after writing denied across it. On December 23rd, 1921, President Warren G. Harding commuted Debs' sentence to time served, effective on Christmas Day. He did not issue a pardon. A White House statement summarized the administration's view of Debs' case. Quote, there is no question of his guilt. He was by no means as rabid and outspoken in his expressions as many others, and but for his prominence and the resulting far-reaching effect of his words, very probably might not have received the sentence he did. He is an old man, not strong physically. He is a man of much personal charm and impressive personality, which qualifications make him a dangerous man calculated to mislead the unthinking and affording excuse for those of criminal intent, end quote. And I called bullshit yet again. They just felt he was a threat because he was steering people's minds away from capitalism. Because he was a threat to the status quo. Wait, which which president locked him up and wrote denied across the... Harding. Oh, well, uh, it was Wilson that wrote denied. Oh. Harding is the oh, one that Oh, it was Wilson. Up. Yeah, Harding's Wilson, the one that... Wilson was literally the fucking devil. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> we, we can do a whole episode on how Wilson was the fucking devil. Yeah, yeah. He was. We Reagan. should parking lot issue that. He was Reagan before Reagan. Sorry to <laughs> cut everybody off. It's all good. <laughs> um, let's see. When Debs was released from the Atlanta penitentiary, the other prisoners sent him off with a roar of cheers, and a crowd of fifty thousand greeted his return to Terre Haute to the accompaniment of band music. En route home, Debs was warmly received at the White House by Harding, who greeted him by saying, well, I've heard so damn much about you, Mr. Debs, that I'm now glad to meet you personally. <laughs> Ain't that a flip of the fucking script? Yeah, right? <laughs> Fuck. I've heard so damn much about you. Jesus. Right. Anyway, <laughs> in 1924, uh, Debs was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize by Finnish socialist Carl H. Weik. Weik? I don't, I don't know how to say that. Uh, how would you say that? W-I-I-K. Vic? Vic? Uh, Carl H. Vic. On the grounds that Debs uh, started to work actively for peace during World War I, uh, mainly because he considered the war to be in the interest of capitalism. Uh, he spent his remaining years trying to recover his health, which was severely undermined by prison confinement. In late 1926, he was admitted to Lindlar Sanitarium in Elmhurst, Illinois. He died there of heart failure on October 20th, 1926, at the age of 70. His body was cremated and buried in Highland Lawn Cemetery in Terre Haute, Indiana. His legacy had an enormous impact. Debs helped motivate the American left to organize political opposition to corporations in World War I. American socialists, communists, and anarchists honor, honor his work for the labor movement and motivation to have the average working man build socialism without large state involvement. Several books have been written about his life as an inspirational American socialist. I wanted to interject here to say that in terms of honoring his work for the labor movement, I mean, okay, both the Socialist Party USA and the IWW are still around today. Right. Like, there's no denying right. that the his impact legacy is fucking still lives. Right. His, his legacy definitely is going to continue to live on for a long time through those two. You know, what he helped found there was incremental and getting anywhere with workers' rights. I dig it. Um, anywho, uh, Vermont Senator and yeah, presidential candidate Bernie Sanders has long been an, ad an admirer of Debs and produced a 1979 documentary about Debs, which was released as a film and an audio LP record as an audiovisual teaching aid. In the documentary, he described Debs as, quote, probably the most effective and popular leader that the American working class has ever had, end quote. 
Sanders hung a portrait of Debs in City Hall in Burlington, Vermont, when he served as mayor of the city in the 80s and has a plaque dedicated to Debs in his congressional office, too. That's pretty uh, badass. Me, yeah, it is. Ber I, I, Bernie's I, always I, been a comrade, right. man. I kind of want to find that 1979 documentary that Bernie fucking Sanders made about Eugene Debs. That'd be pretty right. Dope. We need to make that a parking lot, you know, issue too. Dedicate a, yeah. a segment to that because I want to break that one down. That should be one of our movie nights. Um, yes, uh, the Green Party is with the Socialist Alternative and the Socialist Party USA. Um, we got comments coming in. <laughs> yeah. So don't have those up. Uh, the socialist alternative has joined the DSA, but remember, or, or has joined forces with the DSA. They haven't joined the DSA, but it's important to remember that, um, that some of the local chapters of the DSA have been supporting the Green Party and Socialist Party as part of the Left Unity campaign. But that's what I was going to say is the socialist alternative, the Green Party and the Socialist Party USA are all in on the um the left unity campaign oh yeah sorry go ahead trisha <coughs> it's, it's all good man fucking smoking down over here welcome if you got them people um on may 22nd 1962 deb's home was purchased for nine thousand five hundred dollars by the eugene v deb's foundation which worked to preserve it as a deb's memorial in 1965 it was designated as an official historic site of the state of Indiana. And in 1966, it was designated as a national historic landmark of the United States. Oh, yeah. The preservation of the museum is monitored by the National Park Service. In 1990, the Department of Labor named Debs a member of its Labor Hall of Fame. <coughs> On that note, I'm going to pause for the cause. Pass it to you, Rob. While Debs did not leave a collection of papers to a university library, the pamphlet collection, which he and his brother amassed, is held by Indiana State University in Terre Haute. The scholar Bernard Brommel, author of a 1978 biography of Debs, has donated his biographical research materials to the Newberry Library in Chicago, where they are open to researchers. The original manuscript of Debs book, Walls and Bars, with handwritten amendments, presumably by Debs, is held in the Thomas J. Morgan Papers in the Special Collections Department of the University of Chicago Library. Uh, the town of Debs, Minnesota is named after Debs. Who could have figured that one out? Former New York radio station WEVD, which is uh, now ESPN Radio. Wow was uh, named in his honor. It makes sense, W-E-V-D, Eugene, Victor, Debs. Anyway, Debs Place, a housing block in Co-op City in the Bronx, New York, was named in his honor. The Eugene V. Debs Cooperative House in Ann Arbor, Michigan was named after Debs. Um, and then I've got some links to his works that I'm gonna throw in the com comments. The first one is going to be back to, or is going to be the, the Marxist Internet Archives, Eugene V. Debs Internet Archives. Everything that he ever wrote is there. I'm going to try it oh, one, more yeah. time. one more time on my computer, but I might have to use my phone to do it. Maybe not. Ooh. I'm curious to read the one labor as a commodity. <laughs> and yeah, I believe the DSA had, well, I believe certain chapters of the DSA have received money from DNC donors. But remember, some locals have uh, been pushing green candidates or even running on the Green Party. Um, so I try not to lump them all together, but you're not wrong. And yeah, uh, labor is a commodity, I think, should also be on our reading list. So yes. I, I put the entire archive for Eugene B. Debs, and then now I'm putting the link also to the Marxist Internet Archive of labor is a commodity. And um, then 
a paper he wrote about the Social Democratic Party, revolutionary, not reform. Um, Goddamn right. Those, those, that one particularly seemed especially relevant right now. But, right, uh, right. Because look at how many years we've kept trying reform and every reform comes, you know, like pre-stocked with some fucking compromise um and gets further compromised before it's fucking passed uh, we need all out revolution at this fucking point yeah um so yeah like uh what do you guys got to say about any of it really i mean about eugene v debs should have learned about him in high school then i'm pissed off i'm learning about him at 30. that yeah. yeah, I'm almost did. 40. And if we did learn about him in high school, it should have been more than simply a paragraph during social studies. Right. I doubt they even did that. I mean, do we learn in school that Albert Einstein was a socialist? No. No, we don't. No. Nope. They only want to talk about his scientific theories, which were dope. I'll give it that. He was a brilliant mind. But there is more to the man than just his science. Well, I think that that brilliant mind led him to the science of uh, dialectical materialism. Um, Absolutely. I think think that Einstein was a socialist because he was a genius. And that's not to say that all geniuses are socialists. But I I think that that his, uh, his smarts led him to still look into these things he was told were bad. Uh, right to question everything including social dynamics and he had to have learned some (coughs) ethics along the lines there too um that's like the inherent recipe right there for becoming a fucking socialist empathy (laughs) you know um ethics and increasing your knowledge base yeah that's what you're dreaming to do here you know river said he learned a lot and honestly it it makes me happy to hear that fuck yeah bro um i learned a lot doing the research for this (laughs) and like don said like i didn't realize how much of an impact he had until uh you know recently i guess and that's not okay i mean he was a significant force in the labor movement in the united states which we don't learn about much in school to begin with but we are taught that unions are the reason that we have a five-day work week why don't we learn about the people and the organizations that were doing these things hold on rob that's uh it's dangerous thinking <laughs> Can't be having that right well-rounded education what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> gotta keep them dumb. shit i didn't even hear the name eugene v debs that i can recall until <laughs> occupy when yeah. i met laura and she started telling me about all this you know she was in the union for many years too working at the shop in flint and uh does anyone she's re- the one that started teaching me about labor history does anyone remember the name of the um the school that my mom attended the union funded UAW school that she attended, summer e- camp she e- went to. Eugene V. Dead? <coughs> I'm pretty sure, yeah. Nice. Where is mom? She's not home from work yet, is she? Well, she's sadly was... not. She is, she regrets that she could not make it, but she also said that it's been so long that since she's learned about Eugene Debs, that she would have to refresh herself anyway. That's fair. Right. That's fair. Um, so of course as we start winding down this episode i'm gonna do the usual uh you know please donate to our patreon thing patreon.com slash for we are many you have anything to say don like maybe to Ewan or jeff i guess it's that uh that time of night again elon Jeff, Mark, listen, the videos, I'll, I'll stop sending them. I'll, I'll stop coming by the house. No, I will. Uh, no, I'll stop coming by the house. Their houses are creepy. Um, 
Mark especially likes to show off his uh, his, his collection of cancer patient bone marrow. Um, but yeah, guys, guys, all it takes, all it takes for the, the terror that I instill in you to stop is simple donations on our Patreon. We've got levels for you. We don't have a level for uh, Zuckerberg. That's okay. You can send me the money direct. But um, yeah, yeah, I'll stop hiding in the bushes. I'll, I'll stop sending you the letters, the eight track cassette tapes, the vinyl records. The pictures aren't going to stop. I need to remind you guys every once in a while, but that's between us. <laughs> so I also want to uh, shout out our website for wearemany.org. Uh, Tomorrow morning, or maybe even later tonight, this uh, episode will be on podcast platforms for your listening enjoyment at your leisure. Um, also wanted to point out uh, that our YouTube is slowly growing. Uh, we're starting to actually like, you know, get regular views on there and like, the occasional comment and, you know, so our subscribers aren't there yet though. So please uh, find us on YouTube and subscribe um, for We Are Many podcast. And um, check out uh, the, the Talking MMT um, piece that uh, Calvin does on youtube i don't have a link right now but i'm willing to bet that he's about to drop one in the comments um, james james i read your comment and i'm fucking honored man thank you what did he say he said that uh one of my part is one of the best parts of the show i'm glad i hope it made people laugh it, like dean always says these are laugh or cry <laughs> comments, might as well make you laugh Right. Right on. That makes sense. Yes, well, there you have it, folks. Eugene Victor Debs, historical badass, socialist. And um, I'm going to play Solidarity Forever again as oh, we hell leave. Yeah. Nice. Hell yeah. Good night, people. Thank you for joining us. Solidarity. Bad love. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. For the union makes us strong. blood shall run there can be no power greater anywhere beneath the sun yet what force on earth is weaker than the feeble strength of one but the union makes us strong solidarity forever solidarity forever solidarity forever for the union Plowed the prairies, built the cities where they trade, dug the mines and built the workshops, endless miles of railroad laid. Now we stand outcast and starving, mid the wonders we have made, but the union makes us strong. Solidarity forever, solidarity forever, solidarity forever. Taken untold millions that they never toiled to earn But without our brain and muscle not a single wheel can turn We can break their haughty power, gain our freedom when we learn That the union makes us strong Solidarity forever Solidarity forever Solidarity 
forever, for the union makes us strong. In our hands is placed a power greater than their hoarded gold, greater than the might of atoms magnified a thousandfold. We can bring to birth a new world from the ashes of the old, for the union makes us strong. My grandfather's smiling down right now, man. Laughing about that or smiling about this? Smiling about this. I love that fucking song. Almost as much as I love Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. That's a good song. Hmm. Is Rob still there? (laughs) I don't think we're... He might be live. Are we still live? He's muted. He's been muted muted this whole time. Solidarity forever, Rob. You're still muted. Yes, because Very that nice. was supposed to be the end because we weren't supposed to be talking. Oh. Well, we waited a moment. You I'm didn't. Sorry. Yeah, but you didn't hear this. <laughs>